0: It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. You know, I had no background in sports writing.
1: I'm not. <laughs> I went to college for a month for crying out loud. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of <laughs> what I've accomplished all these years, even though nobody knows me. You know, going to the plus for all those years. You know, as I said, walking down that ramp never got never got old.
0: It's a labor of love, really. And our guest this week on One on One is Jack Shore, longtime AP correspondent in Philadelphia, a legend in the media broadcasting world in Philadelphia who has covered countless games, college basketball games, especially in the city of Philadelphia. This is the first time we've actually taken the podcast on the road to your house, Jack. Thanks for having us and thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down. Pleasure. Glad to have you, Matt. So let's start at the beginning. AP correspondent, when did you start?
1: Well, the beginning actually started in 1957-58 basketball season. What's significant about that season, the Palestras always says they're outstanding visiting players every year. And the team, when the team that year, was Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and Wilt Chamberlain, who came to the Palestra that season. So I, I started that at a pretty good time. Actually, I started that working for the Philadelphia Bulletin, part-time. Bob Vitrone, legendary sports writer took me in as his uh, student, I guess, taught me how to be a sports writer, really. <clears throat> so that's when I really started, 57, 58, with the Bulletin. Then I started doing AP games for, for Bob. In 1969 is when I really started working for the AT- AP full-time.
0: Was writing... Was that always the goal? Like, did you, you know, when you're growing up? Or tell me about the path that got you to, to there.
1: Well, that, that with Bob Vitrone, that's the path. No, I had no background whatsoever. I wanted to be a baseball player when I was a kid and played a lot of sports, played basketball and baseball and so forth. But then after the Army, as I said, I was going to start at Temple University and I got sidetracked by meeting my beautiful bride, who I'm still married to,
0: <laughs> and started with Bob and, and got into it at that point. And Bob turned me on my way. So you mentioned that first year. What was your knowledge of the Big Five, the college basketball scene, when you got started? Well, I followed it. I, I played basketball at Frankfurt High School and played at the
1: Palestra three or four times and, of course, loved it. But with Bob, I, I think I could pay 10 bucks a night, by the way, sitting at courtside. I was in glory. <laughs> it was in heaven. So, you know, as I said, it's was 1957, 1958. Uh, and then things developed, and I got in with the AP. And 3,000 games later, here I am.
0: Yeah, that I saw, because I was reading the uh, – I think when you were inducted into the Big Five Hall of Fame. Was that around 2002? Yes. Something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, they said more than 2,000 games. Uh, is that – and do you have a close to a number? Do you think it's close to around 3,000? Oh, it's over 3,000 each sport, baseball and basketball. Wow. <laughs> well, a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk – let's focus on the Big Five, because – you know, I do the pen games, and I remember having you on halftime one time. And honest to goodness, we did five minutes because I think it was they were celebrating the, uh, uh, I don't know what it was, an All-Big-Five team or something like that. And I was just captivated by your knowledge and your memory. So let's start. People in Philadelphia know what the Big Five is. If you were to describe the Big Five to someone who had no familiarity, how would you describe it? well it's extremely unique there's no city in the country has anything has
1: ever had anything like it you had five division 1 teams in one place and playing in the same building at the same same year or so forth till Villanova and Temple decided to go their own way but as i said unique no one had anything like it and uh, it was a major part of my life and still is and i still get a thrill walking down that ramp with the palestra
0: you mentioned that first year you were you did cover stuff, fifty seven fifty eight. and you mentioned Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, and, and Will. Did you realize and appreciate what you were seeing? I mean, you knew they were good and this was special, but did you realize, like, I might be I'm watching kind of history here? Probably, but let me correct. I wasn't really covering the game. Bob was
1: covering the game. I, I was phoning in his story to the Bolton. We had a direct line to the oh, okay. Evening Bulletin. So I was just like an assistant but you know my eyes were certainly wide eyed all the time and seeing these guys who I'd heard about right in front of me was a great experience and then things
0: just took off so let's uh let's delve into some I want to talk more about your career as we go forward but let's talk a little uh big 5 history when you think of all the teams who were some teams that stand out as the best or most memorable? Maybe not teams that won a title or won a Big Five title, but what are some teams that come stand out? Well, I think the 68-69 LaSalle team was the
1: best ever and still is the best ever. Four guys went to the uh, NBA, even though two got hurt and their careers were shortened. Kenny Durrett, an All-American, Larry Cannon, an All-American, Bernie Williams, and Roland Taylor. Four legendary players
0: on the same team. So to me, that's the best Big Five team ever. What are some other ones that would be on the list if you were putting them up there?
1: Uh, Villanova's team with Howard Porter, Chris Ford, Tommy Inglesby. They took UCLA to the final game and lost by six. People thought they were going to get killed. That's when the UCLA was at its peak. So they certainly would be up there. Uh, Temple's had some great teams through the years. Uh, Guy Rogers, who I still say is the best player ever to play in the Big Five, and it's been, what, seven years since he played? who, by the way, I played on the same team as him in a playground-type league. (laughs) He was ineligible his first year at Temple. He he was ineligible to play on the freshman team. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've heard this story or not. We played on a game at the Jardell Recreation Center in Northeast Philadelphia, and we combined for 57 points, and I had five. (laughs) True story. But anyway, the the Rodgers and and Lear team was certainly great. Then we had Rodgers and Pickles Kennedy, another All-American, back in the day. Certainly great teams. And of course, Villanova, we know, has had some great teams recently. So they certainly have to be up there. St. Joe's with the Jameer Nelson team, certainly one of the best ever, undefeated during the regular season. LaSalle with the goal teams way back before the Big Five. And then with Durrett and those guys, Lionel Simmons, a tremendous player. So there's been so many of them. It's, it would take me an hour to go through them, probably.
0: Are there any specific games you've seen that, um, I mean, over 3,000, but are, are there some that just stand out? Uh, maybe not championship but just that when you think about it come rushing back yeah
1: a little before your time was the the Donchus game Steve Donchus was a sub at St. Joe's they were ranked number one before the season started on the cover of Sports Illustrated Uh, played Villanova their arch rival Villanova was winning most of the game and it would have been a huge upset and Steve Donchus comes off the bench somebody had fouled out makes the game winner and St. Joe's wins the game that's one of the all-time big five classics I remember Florida State came in with a Walmart named George McLeod to play LaSalle with uh, Lionel. LaSalle, I think, went 198. I think the score was, and McLeod had 40, and I think Lionel had 37. That would be up there. Uh, I'm trying to think. Kentucky came in one year way back, and they were they were loaded. Uh, Adolph Rupp was on the bench, one of the grouchiest men I've ever seen in my life. He he never called the players by their first name. It was like, Jones? Get in, get in there. Okay. Al McGuire came in with his Marquette team, swore he would never come back. He didn't think the officiating did did his team any favors that night. Bo Kimball came in, the Philadelphia kid, at the field house against St. Joe's, and poured in 40, I'm sorry, 50. He's got the field house record, including a 40-footer at the buzzer right in front of me where I was sitting. That was one of the all-timers. That was a terrific game. Seeing Bill Bradley play was certainly a thrill to me. With those Princeton teams, I can remember sitting with my colleagues at, uh, before the game, watching him during warm-up, counting how many shots in a row he made, 18, 19. Now, that figure is going up every year, but, <laughs> but I think it would, probably was like 22. And Bill, Cor- of course, on the all-time visiting team at the Palestra, too. So, what a, what a great, great college player. Uh, Villanova-Georgetown, John Pannone, Burley Center for Villanova, great college player. Beat Patrick Ewing. And <laughs> here's a funny story I can remember from that game. The din at the palestra that night, it was was probably as loud as I have ever heard it. It just, you, you had a timeout, the place was going crazy. Frank Brady, my colleague at the bulletin, sat next to me. And I said to Frank, what's better than this? And he said, sex? <laughs> and I said, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> True story. Um, I'm curious, we all know what the palestra is now, and we know how revered it was. When you're first starting there you know, it's special for Philadelphia, but because there were other arenas of that ilk in that time, was it revered like it is now? I think, yeah, I think it was, as I said,
1: getting players, like I mentioned with Wilton Rosk and Oscar and, and West. Uh, yeah. I think it was pretty well-known. I think it's lesser well-known now since it, you know, doesn't have Villanova, it doesn't have temple and they don't get the big teams like they used to. But you know, what's funny about that Michigan state came in because the coach wanted to play here not the one of his team to play here, and to see the palestra, He just went crazy after the game, so a great, great place it was. Even though they lost, they got upset. I forget who they played now. Anyway, he he was terrific, and he just said, you know, I'm really glad we came. Uh, North Carolina came in. Coach said the same thing. I've always heard about it, and it's, just, well, it's everything I heard. heard about it. You loved it. So it's, its reputation is well known. I just don't think as well as it used to be in the earlier years.
0: So let's talk more Big Five specifically. You mentioned a lot of names. Uh, if you were putting together a first team all-time all Big Five, who would be on it? And oh. we don't have to be position specific. Well, pretty tough because I'm going to leave somebody out that I probably shouldn't. Well,
1: I'd start with Rodgers. Uh, people, you, you had to have seen him play. He was way ahead of his time. You know, people say way way back. You know, forget that. Of course he played twelve years in the NBA also. And so he would be there. Uh I guess Lionel Simmons was a great, great college player. I'll take try to take them team by team now. Uh but LaSalle had a couple of great ones, so Michael Brooks was a great college player. Temple with Hal Lear in the early years, Mark Macon in the later years was a great college player. I'm I'm gonna have more than five if even when
0: he wanted five. We got plenty of time. <laughs> um
1: St. Joe's with Jameer Nelson, who's probably the best player. Clifford Anderson was a great All-American with those teams in the 60s when St. Joe's was highly ranked almost every season. Matt Gukas Jr. was a great college player. Uh, Penn with uh, Corky Calhoun, who was an All-American, played about 10 years with, in the NBA, is a great player. Uh, and, then of course, he had the great backcourt of Steve, Steve Bilski and Dave Wall, which was kind of well-known at the time. Um I could probably go name 50 guys here before we're finished. And I'm probably forgetting somebody right now. But off the top of my head, that's some of the great ones.
0: So we talk about, you talk about that LaSalle team, best team. What to you is the best, I don't know how I want to say this, like the best season? Like that 85 Villanova team is so revered and rightfully so for what they did. But is that more impressive or on the same level as, say, what St. Joe's did in 2004 in this day and age for a school, a program of that size to have an undefeated regular season and be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament? You understand where, yeah. where I'm going with that? The, I think the Villanova
1: thing, and I, I don't want to, want to discredit them because you know, they did a great thing. It was, I don't want to say it was a fluke, but it was a very surprising. So, and they, they're not the best Villanova team ever, that's for sure. So I think that the St. Joe thing probably was more of an accomplishment, you know, to go undefeated like they did. I think Villanova might have had ten losses that year, uh, and here they go and, and beat Ewing's, Ewing's team. So great accomplishment, but not one of the great teams ever.
0: And then you throw i I put in that grouping with that St. Joe's team and that the Penn team that goes to the Final Four. Uh, the year Magic and and Larry Bird are, are there. I I feel like almost every Team. They may not have necessarily been their best team, but they are almost the most iconic one. Year, if you know, if if I'm making myself clear, yeah, that
1: that would apply to that uh, Penn team. Uh, they had some really good players. Booney Solders was a very colorful player. Uh, Tony Price was got some All American honors. So yeah, that, that probably might be the best Penn team ever. They're certainly up there.
0: What is your favorite part? specifically of covering the Big Five? I mean, I'm sure the basketball, but what past that makes it so special for you?
1: Well, the fact that it's so unique. As I said, no other city in the in the country
0: has anything like it.
1: The schools act like they love each other, but they really don't <laughs> when they get on the court. You know, the rivalry, the St. Joe-Villanova rivalry is extremely strong. It almost gets out of hand. Some of their fans I know, some of the guys I know very well, they they won't even look at the St. Joe game. If it's on TV, they won't watch a St. Joe game. So the the rivalry is very, very deep. Uh, so that's another factor involved. But And the other thing is that you never know who's going to win the game. There's been so many upsets. Teams have been favored by 10, 12 points and lose. And we had uh, Penn beating Villanova this year. It was a pretty big upset. So I guess you never know what's going to happen Is the, is the main thing when the city teams get together, which makes it much more interesting.
0: Villanova, they get knocked out in the second round this year. But the run before that, national title, they get upset in the second round between, but national title between that, where does that run of three years rank? Is, uh, I mean, it's got to be pretty close to the top, but going back years, where would you put it? Well,
1: I would put it at the top. I mean, the, then it's going to put the coach in the Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any question about that. But to win two titles in three years, not an easy thing to do. So I would say that that's probably the, the biggest accomplishment any Big Five teams ever had.
0: Are there any other runs of of three, four, five years that would be in the area code of that? Probably not.
1: You know, we had some really good teams back with the Chris Ford and Howard Porter seasons. They they won a lot of games, but the South was really good at that point too. And then Temple with the Macon team, they they won a lot of games. So I, I don't just don't think there's anything close to anybody winning two
0: national titles in three seasons. You mentioned Macon, obviously, John Chaney. What was he like to, to talk to, to, to just watch on the sidelines and, and, and stuff like that? Interesting, because <laughs> you never know what he was going to come out with.
1: But he, not a, an ounce of phoniness in his body, soldier, whatever he was thinking. Loved his players, even though he was extremely tough on them. By the way, I played against John Chaney in high school. Did you really? He played at Ben Franklin. He was all public, terrific, terrific high school player would have gone to any major college then, but there were quotas around. Uh, he had 10, I had two, by the way. I didn't play him. I didn't play him. But a great player, and obviously a great coach who would speak his mind, very colorful. Uh, you Can't say anything bad about him, really. I don't think some people had, had issues with his temper at times. Players loved him, though. You know, it would be a tough love type thing. But they And they won, that's for sure.
0: How do you think, as we're talking here the Big Five is going through some pretty big changes coach-wise with Phil Martelli being let go and Fran Dunphy uh, stepping down. What do you think losing those two icons in the Big Five does for the flavor of the Big Five? Because they were not just a part of it, they were big in pushing it and making sure you knew about
1: it. No question. I think it hurts the Big Five greatly. You know, both stand-up guys, never an ounce of any kind of improprieties at the schools. Good coaches, even though some people complain they didn't win enough. I the Dumphy, who I'm very close to, which you're not supposed to be close to people if you're in the media, but I'm kind of semi-retired. So, uh, one of the finest men I've ever met. Things he does that people don't know about for charity and so forth. And Martelli, too, very active in the Coaches for Cancer thing. And just solid men. So, to, to see them go and Kind of abruptly. I don't think Duffy wanted to go, even though he's saying the right things. I know Phil didn't want to go. And that came about. I think it was probably in the works, but they did it kind of abruptly, which hurt him greatly. So I don't know what. I think the new coach is going to have trouble. Let's face it. It's a tough place to recruit. This is a small school. And and so it's it's going to be tough to win there. So I think losing those two icons really hurts the big five.
0: Were there ways – when you're going to cover a game and you're walking into let's say the palestra you knew it was going to be a special night i mean besides the matchup just the energy or or things or the is it the corners filling up is that when you knew it the the palestra was going to be was going to be a special night yeah
1: yeah somebody thinks at they've like kale beers who does their games he used to get a kick out of me because i would say corners. <laughs> and he was bring his mic down and they asked me to say corners. But yeah, I still got extra thrill seeing those packed houses down there. There's nothing like a packed house at the Palestra to see a quality basketball game. and my home away from home, I should add. So if you're asking me if I was like looking forward to a particular game, positively, no question about it. But uh, I never did not look forward to going to
0: the Palestra. Now we've talked a lot of college basketball here and we talked Great games at the Palisader, and we talked about other venues in the city and great games you saw. It, it turns out that the best game you ever covered was actually played at the Spectrum. That would be Kentucky Duke Eastern Regional Final. Kentucky
1: goes up by one on a shot from the corner by a guard named Sean Woods. Terrific game all the way through, back and forth, back and forth. Duke inbounds under their own uh, under the Kentucky basket. Length of the court pass almost to Leitner, catches the ball, turns around, makes the tough jumper at the buzzer. Bedlam, probably one of the worst losses ever by a team, and certainly one of the greatest victories ever by a team, but the best college game I've ever seen.
0: And, you know, people call it the shot, and and people remember, but it's special for your family because your son got married that day.
1: He did. Fortunately, got married at 10 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, and I got to
0: the game one time. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about the Big Five, and we've talked players, we've talked coaches, we've talked games. Uh, How about individual performances? You mentioned a couple earlier, some names that people might not be familiar with, but uh, what are some other ones when you think back to your career of covering Philadelphia College basketball? One which I think doesn't get nearly the attention it should. I might have
1: mentioned this to you before at some other point. Marvin O'Connor, St. Joe's, playing at LaSalle. Scored 18 points in less than a minute. <laughs> Ended up losing the game 91 to 90, I think. But he got 18 points in less than a minute. It was 57.5 seconds. It's pretty hard to do. Yeah. And again, people, some people don't even remember it when I say, yeah, you don't remember that? I, mean, I covered the game, so I clearly remember it. So that's that certainly one. Uh, Western Kentucky, I remember, came in ranked number one, and LaSalle upset them. And the had 44, I do believe. So that was
0: certainly one to remember. So let's talk about your career. Take me through, because you mentioned when you were helping out Bob Vitrone and you, would, you, and you were working for the Bulletin, you were actually calling in the story. I think a lot of people that listen to this, the, the younger generation, would have no <laughs> idea what, what you're talking about. So for those first years through th- for the Bulletin and early on when you start with the AP, what was a, a night like when you get to the arena?
1: Well, we both had our own phones there set up for us, direct line to the bulletin. And Bob did the AP for a while. You give them maybe two sentences back then. And then I started to do the AP and that graduated to where I am now with the AP. Uh, It's just a matter of picking up the phone and dictating a story to a guy back at the paper. That's how it worked in those days. Things have changed a little
0: bit. Yeah. What what was the next step after that? When was it? uh Go to the
1: locker room and get quotes back and turned in another story, a follow-up story to the first one on the phone, <laughs> dictating again. Uh, and then as the years went by, the, when I started doing the AP myself, I, obviously they started wanting way more copy until it finally became full-end stories with quotes. But it's changed
0: immensely since then. What is your favorite part of game coverage? Obviously, you get to watch the games and you're obviously, a f- you enjoy the the basketball and stuff like that, but... What's your favorite part of the routine? Was it uh, getting the chance to talk to the coach? Was it uh, the excitement of deadlines, stuff like that? What was it?
1: Well, Really, just the game itself. I was assistant coach at Father Judge for six years back when I was helping with Trone, late 50s, early 60s. So I thought I had a little different uh, Change of opinion on things other than the other writers. (laughs) I thought I knew more. (laughs) Uh, But just watching the games itself and and meeting the big time coaches that came in and how they operated. My seat at the Plesser was about three feet from the visiting bench. So I heard some very interesting comments during the year. Here's one I never forgot Pete Carrill, who was quite a character himself. And why I remember this uh, one of his players stole the ball and went down for a layup all by himself and missed. And Pete stood up and said, He's trying. To throw the game. <laughs> <laughs> so why
0: after all these years, I would remember that, but I do. Is it tough? And we kind <clears> of, <throat> you talked about this beforehand, because I one of the reasons I wanted to do this with you was not only did I know it would be fun and it would be fascinating, but for the career you had, I don't think you're as well known as you should be in the city. And the simple reason is because working for the AP, you're often, for lack of a better term, your works anonymous.
1: Yeah, usually you would say for the AP, because technically I'm not a staff member. <clears throat> so you know everybody says Jack you're from the AP, <laughs> it was I'm a freelancer basically. I think I had maybe five bylines in forty years. <laughs> so that's why people didn't know me nationally, that's for sure. Was that tough? <clears throat> Not really. It might have been, hurt my ego a little bit at times <laughs> when it was a big game and I covered it and you know went out all over the country and everybody's talking about it. and it says, for the AP. But
0: <laughs> no, I just lived with it, really. And I enjoyed it so much, I couldn't complain. So if I would have told you when you started this, helping Bob Vitrone, that you would still be doing it in 2019... What would you say? Oh, I'd be totally shocked. You know, I had no background in sports writing. I'm not, <laughs> I am
1: not. went to college for a month, for crying out loud. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of <laughs> what I've accomplished all these years, even though nobody knows me <laughs> and outside the city. People know me in the city, which is fine. But, you know, and I've enjoyed it so much. You know, going to the Palestra all those years, you know, as I said, walking down that ramp never got, never got old.
0: It's a labor of love, really. Jack Shore, longtime AP correspondent, our guest this week on 101. Jack, thanks so much. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure, Matt, and I'm sure I've forgotten about 20
1: other things I should tell you, but it was very enjoyable.
0: Well, that's it for this week's show. One-on-one is a sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. You can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on iTunes and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at MattLeon1060. I'm Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.